I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Kevin Alaka, the head of culture and trends at YouTube and author of Videocracy, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. And fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels that are shaping our culture. We find out how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show to bring you new music every week from our friends over at EDM.com. I'm your host, Josh Levine, and check it out. I'm coming at you once again this week from the Can Lions Festival of Creativity. Uh, it's the annual gathering of the global advertising marketing industries held in Cannes, France. Uh, I get down there to meet interesting people and bring them to you on our show. So I got to sit at the uh, YouTube Beach Club on the beautiful Quazette in Cannes uh, with Kevin Alaka. He's the head of trends and culture at YouTube. Um, he had a great TED Talk. He's got a great book out. Um, and he's helping people all around the world understand why certain videos go viral and what they can do to make their content better. And so we talk about his path personally from, from his background in journalism into what he does at YouTube and how he manages to stay awake watching uh, video after video for uh, what seems like his entire life. And um, just some, some insights that he gets into what's happening with culture from his perspective. It's a great talk. It's short. You'll hear maybe some background noise from all the goings on at the Beach Club. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it right after our EDM.com track of the week.
like that one, get over to EDM.com and check out more new music. And now let's get into it with Kevin Alaka. Skim through who was on the show, and I was like, "This is legit." So, oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it. You know, it's about people that are making careers out of creativity, yeah, and uh, and building culture, and obviously, you know, not only is, is YouTube such a huge part of culture, but um, you know, you seem to be kind of stepping out with the book and and speaking, and you know, it's funny. I was thinking about how um, we, you know. The, the founders of the big social media companies are household names. Mm-hmm. They've kind of become rock stars. People don't really know who founded YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's and the company in general has kind of kept a low profile. Yeah. So I'm interested to talk a little bit about kind of you and your journey. Sure. And why you're doing that. Um, but I always like to start with a, a question back from the beginning. Do you remember the first record you ever bought? Yes. So, uh, like... Okay, this is a good, a good question. So I remember, um, like when I was cognizant of it, like uh, yeah. you know when I could yeah, buy yeah. it. When yeah, I was like, not I like mom got thing. it for exactly. You. Right. So I can think of two. The first tape was Whoop, there it is. I was growing oh, up in Miami, nice. so at the time, so that sound was like everywhere. I mean, in Miami, it's required. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It was part of the education of growing up in Miami. Yeah. And the first CD was Ace of Base. Okay. Because. Uh, that album was like blowing up right right sure. there, and now I'm like, I can't believe that was that's my legacy. Is my first <laughs> album was the the sign or whatever. You know? Oh man, that's crazy! And do you remember the first time you discovered YouTube? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think like so, YouTube would have launched when I was like in my um, going into my senior year of college, and okay. there was like a, there was definitely a, a um, yes. So there was definitely a um, like a, a culture of sharing clips around sure. the dorms and yeah, stuff, yeah. and like we're like E-bombs World and all these other sites were like really popular at that For time. Sure. And then I saw, and then people started sharing YouTube clips. I don't remember what the first video was. It was probably like some dan- weird dance video or something. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of like kind of those fun random international clips. That's right. what I remember most in the early days. Like wow, how, like, this weird clip from Japan. Like yeah. you know stuff that I would never be able to see. Yeah. You know? It's funny. I mean, YouTube. Uh, it kind of, like obviously I remember a time before YouTube, and you know I I have a nine year old son, so we use it daily mm-hmm. to like look stuff up that he's trying to understand or learn. Yeah. Or he plays music, so he's constantly. But um, but it, it also sort of feels like it's always been there. Mm-hmm. You know, very much different to say a Twitter or Facebook, where you know the, they had this kind of explosion of virality. Yeah, where YouTube's kind of had that for videos, but mm-hmm. the service has just sort of become part of our daily lives. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, it was the social video infrastructure of the entire internet. Yeah, and now like there are lots of other sure. platforms that have video built into them. But I think the search quality of it, the ability to just go and retrieve whatever you're looking for, is the one of the unique defining things about it. Like yeah. the volume mixed with that technology. Yeah, and that makes it like feel like it feels similar to Google in that way where it's like I don't remember what it was like when I like had to go look up a definition in an actual dictionary it was the worst this stuff yeah it was terrible yeah um I yeah I just remember like not knowing stuff we're here in Europe you know beautiful can and uh I came here when I was 18 and like we didn't know anything and we didn't have any way of finding out other than dated 
travel books, which we weren't going to read. Right. Yeah. And so you just stumble your way through and now it's like a completely different experience. It absolutely is. It's changed. I mean, how you even book rooms here and like, how yeah. you like find out, you know, um, you know, what you want to eat for dinner? <laughs> it's right. like, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It, yeah. For sure. Um, if you were going to be a YouTuber, what kind of videos would you make? Ooh, good question. So I used to make videos um, when I, I, so I started my career at the Huffington Post uh -huh. um, doing political satire and yeah. we used to do these like mashup videos. And so I like used to be very obsessed with like remix culture and, and that stuff, but I love the video essay format, like uh, where people, you know, kind of like do deep critiques of, of things using, uh, using lots of clips. It's become yeah. increasingly popular and it's stuff I love watching. And so that's probably what I would end up making. Cause I think that like, you know, people are always, I, a lot of people ask me like, I think I have an idea for a YouTube channel or now they're like, I think I have an idea for a book or whatever. The principle, same principles apply, which is like, what do you want to just be obsessed with for a very extended amount of time? Yeah. And for most people, the question between like, what's a good business opportunity for them and what they want to be obsessed with doesn't always align. Right. But when those two things do align, that's how you can do it. You know? Well, that seems to be the problem for brands, I think. And you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated. I work with brands in my kind of day job and, um, you know, it seems like, I mean, I know this isn't exactly true, but it seems like it's easy for some random kid to get, you know, a viral video and a huge number of followers. And yet the biggest brands in the world really struggle with it. Um, and, you know, it feels like it's that what you're saying, right? That the kid is just making stuff that he loves. Yeah. I mean, there's the, 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 the challenge for, for, for a lot of brands who are trying to compete in the same way with that type of content. Yeah. This is actually a lot of very effective paths that like don't go that route. Sure. But like for, for those that for those that do, I mean you're competing against like pure authenticity, people who are just right. themselves, like actual individual people. It's very hard and, and it's it's you you see brands that are able to do it, but it's very difficult to sort of create the same dynamic as as a as a real person, as a company. Like, yeah. you know, and there are companies that are able to do that, but it's you know you're at an inherent like disadvantage already because you're you're, you're sort of, the medium is built around personality and conversation and communication. So yeah. what is the right way for brands? What do you see brands doing that not only gets like a lot of views, but you know you're the you're the trends and culture guy, right? So yeah. who are the brands that are actually impacting culture through video? I mean, there's, there are a, a lot now. Um, I mean, I think this week you hear a lot of people talking about Nike, right? And yeah. the way that, that I think a lot of brands um, are successful. And, I, you know, someone mentioned this at a, a, a panel that I was at yesterday is by being a platform for people, right? right. Like you get that. That's another sort of tactic that you can yeah. employ, which is like, okay, like we are, we are a company, but this person's values align with our values. Like we can give them a platform to, to speak. And so you, you see that a lot. You see other brands that are... Um, experimenting with like, okay, we're going to actually try to understand this, this space, this environment. We're going to make ASMR advertisements. We're going to mm -hmm. make um, untraditional types of content. We're going to partner with like creators that actually know how to navigate this space and that can represent us in a way that aligns with what we want to say and, 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 and be about. Um, and, you know, there's like, it, it's a funny, it's really funny actually who is... Um, is good at this. It's not always like just right. about money really, yeah. or about like strategy and things. Uh, I was just in, in, in Germany with, with Angela and, um, the, uh, like the, everybody was telling me about how the German army is like very successful at like, creating like series that people that really connect with people, wow. you know? And that's cool. it's like, you know, I've, you know, I remember years ago, like the department of transportation in the U S like had a whole 
thing with Rhett and Link that was like really successful about how to like, you know, not text and drive and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it weren't, it wasn't all about just like dumping money places. It was sure. about just being really thoughtful about like, what are we trying to say? Who can we work with to do something creative? And I think that like, that's kind of what can is meant to celebrate, I suppose, is people are able to do that successfully. You know? Yeah. So talk about this idea of trends and culture within YouTube. Why, um, why does, why does YouTube need a head of, culture and and why are you the right person for that you i've seen you talk about you know you have a background in journalism you're not yeah. a marketer um so t tell me about that yeah sure so um it started because it's kind of i think the evolution of it is kind of interesting right like when i started i had been a journalist for a little bit i had been a comedy writer before that i knew a lot about pop culture i knew a lot about the media industry from my when i covered the that beat yeah and um youtube was just simply trying to get there was this idea that all these viral videos were out there that everybody was talking about it was becoming pop culture it's like 2010 mm -hmm. but um a lot of the news networks and and things like couldn't find them they just didn't know where like what was legit what was happening and then meantime you had at the same time you had um a lot of these um major like uh events that were happening that were being documented entirely through web video you know arab spring happened yeah. like, a couple weeks after i had started so um there was this idea of like, could we like use data and observation and things to try to like aggregate a lot of this stuff to help other people find it. Turns out that like, yes, that was very helpful for journalists, but there's a lots of like applications for that. Um, and so eventually like that bled into like how we talk to advertisers. It bled into how we talk to our consumers. Like we bled into how we, you know, do our campaign. So I, I ran YouTube Rewind for many years, just like our big end of the year right. kind of to do. Um, I like we, I work on a lot of different product features that actually surface and help people discover what's popular on the mm. site. The thing is, like YouTube is so, so like uh, so big, and there's so many different activities that are happening all at once that to actually just get a sense for like what are the big things that people are talking about. It's, it's, the app is not designed to show you that. It's designed right. to show you what's what you want to watch, sure. right? And so yeah. when people have those questions which can be as simple as what is the biggest video, you know, in Mexico of all time, like someone's right. got to answer those questions. And right. we are that team, thankfully, yeah. which is really fun. And I learned a lot of what I know on the job and through like just developing my own, my own skills, like, you know, working with data, working with, um, with product and engineering teams. And now like, I'm, I feel like I'm in a whole other world and place from where I was when I was a, a journalist and, and, a, and a comedy writer, but, sure. um, I still like value, I still rely on those skills all the time because that's like, it's all about sort of curiosity and inquiry. So how do you think about that then as a boss? Cause I know you have a team now. Yeah, I am. And um, you know, how much do you kind of allow people to come learn on the job versus what they're walking in the door with? Are you, are you conscious about those choices? Yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely think about it a lot when I'm hiring and I take risks, which we'll see if they, <laughs> if they pay off all the Good. time. Yeah. But I think sometimes I, what I really try to prioritize is people who can express themselves well, but be incredibly curious and are plugged in all the time. Like yeah. if you can com combine those things, you can get, you can get pretty far, I think. Yeah. And you can learn a lot because there's no one, there's not that many people who could have possibly have like that similar of an experience. Sure. So we've got people who are video producers on the team. We've got people who are journalists. A lot of people are journalists on the team. We've got uh, people who were, um, uh, who've worked in like other sort of creative gigs yeah. and stuff. None of them have a marketing background. None of us do. We, we, right. A lot of what we do like serves a marketing end, but like requires a different skill set from, from traditional marketing. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, like 
what works for us is not just being able to like run, you can hire all the data analysts you want, but like it's a combination of humans and data that you can actually, you need to both, to really interpret what's happening. Sure. So I mentioned earlier how, you know, you've kind of stepped out mm -hmm. at least to be one of the faces of the brand with Videocracy, the book and the TED Talk. Yeah. Um, what does that do? How does that change the game for you? How does it change kind of your daily life after after a TED Talk or Yeah, or yeah. I mean, it's really confused the hell out of my parents, uh, <laughs> to be honest. So like, I don't, yeah, you, but you're on TV, but then you're also doing, you know, it's like they're very- you're on computer. the computer. Yeah, it's just like really funny. Um, and they're they're great about it and they like really love it. They love right. it. There's like no greater treasure to them than when I'm on morning TV so they yeah, can brag sure. about it to everybody. But, yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's that's just all sort of happened, I think, um, uh, the, the, I have done public speaking a long time and when uh, the opportunity for the for Ted came up um, and the talk went really well yeah um, there are there's a huge appetite for people to not be not always be like to talk to about like what's happening at YouTube what the developments are in terms of like our product and our business but to understand the content in a deeper way because you know YouTube is for you and so for many people whose businesses rely on interacting with it their their perspective of it is shaped by whatever it is that they experience on the site or what their friends right. tell them or whatever. And so there's a real value to that. So then like once that happened, like, you know, I get tons of speaking stuff all the time and sometimes it's really interesting. And so sure. I go, like I get to come here and, and, yeah. and, and, and speak at this. And then. Hi, I'm Kevin Alaka. Uh, I'm the trends manager at YouTube and I professionally watch YouTube videos. It's true. Through the course of that, uh, you know, I got approached by a literary agent who was like, I'd love to like, he's like, what do you think about writing a book? And, and he's like, about your TED talk. And I was like, well, it's like a seven minute talk that is mostly videos. <laughs> uh, but I actually think there's a book that is about this that would be super interesting. And we got like, you know, really excited about it. And then, you know, I spent basically, you know, two years, you know, pulling it all together. Wow. And, um, which, yeah, speaks to how you got to really be passionate about something. <laughs> oh, yeah. In that amount of time, took a lot of time, took sabbatical from the office and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, but... It was fascinating because um, the biggest outcome of all these things is actually just gets me my understanding much deeper because you have yeah. to spend the time synthesizing your perspective on stuff. It's just like you when you write something or when you like, you know, interview someone, you're like forced to like collect your thoughts about what that thing actually means, sure. and so that's how you get a lot smarter about stuff. And so the end, of the thing that's like had the biggest impact for me is I just like feel like I know a lot more now because I've mm -hmm. like had to spend that time collecting those those things. Yeah, um, and it's been like it's. It's, it's super fun. I get to meet lots of interesting people because of it. And um, I think the, the biggest thing is that, like, I, you know, I'm, it's, I'm not the traditional executive that speaks that stuff. So I, I get to, like, tell a different type of story, which I really enjoy. Yeah. That's very YouTube of you. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, I want to talk about music for a minute. I, yeah. I know you have to go get on stage. Oh, um, so obviously music's been a huge part of YouTube yeah. from the beginning. Um, you know, pre-streaming. And so, how is music changing on the site uh, in, in the current era of Spotify and Apple and all that? Yeah, I think there's, you know, and this is one of the things I'm gonna talk about in, in this speech I'm about to give. One of the first things that's super interesting is I think a lot of our traditional concepts of genre are starting, and you hear this a lot, like this genre fluidity that's happening in music, and yeah. you really see it on YouTube, right? Sure. Like the we have we keep, we track a bunch of records, right? So we track like the biggest twenty-four hour debut of a music video, right? It gets, it's been broken twice so far this year, both by K-pop groups like BTS and, and Blackpink, right? Yeah. If you look at the most viewed music videos globally last year, 
eight of the top ten are in Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like you're, so we have this this language thing that's happening. You have like in the U.S. we just say like <clears throat> we say we call Spanish language music Latin. Right. But it's like it's that's kind of like would be like calling um, like all American music American, you right. know, like it's just like, sure. you know, it doesn't really. Yeah, yeah. There's a million different genres all, of things. Right. And like, you know, and so but now that, that but it, it used to be limited to these different sort of channels in which were built around those genres. And now it's not we freely kind of mix genres when we're consuming stuff because recommendation algorithms aren't really built around those types of taxonomies. You know? Right. So the genre thing is changing. I think you also have the like this rise of like people who don't need to go through traditional distribution channels to get discovered you know my favorite story Lil Nas X right now you know he's a guy just trying to make it happen from Atlanta he's like 19 or 20 now and uh, you know he puts out his stuff and like you know spreads it through memes and now it's the biggest song in the world you know like it's and that like he would have had to go through an entirely different process, you know, and now he's with a label and like they're right, helping right, right. grow his sure. career and everything, which there's sure. an important, a hugely important role the labels play in developing talent, but you don't necessarily need to start there anymore and you can prove yourself in different ways. So you get lots of different voices and like perspectives and genres that we wouldn't have seen before. And yeah, where that stuff is coming from is, is totally different. Like I listened to so, I mean, I grew up in Miami, so there's a bit more Spanish music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Latin right. music around, but like, yeah. um, they, you know, I listened to so little music from outside the US and now like you, we just have access to all this stuff. Yeah, of course. You know? And you actually, you could see inter- internationally how much like hip hop is a thing like all over the world. Like, you know, there's a version of hip hop in every possible culture. German hip hop is like huge. You know? Sure. Um, and do you, have a, do you have a favorite German hip hop act? Oh, there are plenty. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it actually it's funny how it now is becoming a thing again. So it was a thing when I was growing up. Yeah. And then it was kind of died down, and then there's like this no, completely whole era. And to be honest, only because YouTube exists and all right. these kids go ahead, upload their stuff, upload their videos, and have this massive audience where. 10 or 15 years ago they would really have like needed all the money to become popular and famous and that's not needed anymore yeah. so I mean it's introducing all these kind of interesting questions about appropriation and stuff as well sure. but like I think it's a really it's fascinating to watch that all that all unfold if you're enjoying this one we can go back in the Rebel Radio archives check out my interview last year at Can Lions with the one and only DJ Mick Uh, You might know Mick from the Summertime Mixtapes or um, his great parties that he's playing all over the world. The dude is a force, and he also has some great things to say. Uh, You can check that out after you finish up here. So how, uh, you know, I have this weird relationship. Like, on the one hand, I appreciate access to all this information, and I, I benefit from it daily. On the other hand... You know, there's this impending feeling that we're just constantly drowning in content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think streaming video in particular, but music too, is like, there's more great stuff than I'll ever be able to listen to for the rest of my life. Yeah. Already existing. Forget about what's created and uploaded every single day, right? Yeah. And so, um, and I'm sure you have, you know, similar experience, I imagine. And yet, so, so we have this kind of need for curation. And algorithms and that, yeah, yeah. and then you know that comes under fire when we see those misused or, or even sometimes people just don't understand how they yeah, work. Yeah. So, what what's your view of that? How 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 do you see it, and how does YouTube kind of see the like balance 
between curation and, and self-discovery and, and where the hand is too heavy and all of that. Yeah. So I think the way that, that we, we think about it is like, how do you make sure that like, how do you create an environment where anybody's voice can, you know, that, that is within reason can get accessed by other people, right? How, yeah. how can you make sure that like, you don't have to be greenlit by somebody? How do you make sure that you don't like have to go through like a, a, you know, traditional channels to be discovered while at the same time maintaining a high level of responsibility around what is contained in those, both in the pool of stuff that exists on the site and we get what we recommend to people and right. what gets ads put against it, you know? Yeah. And you have to think about all those things increasingly nuanced in increasingly nuanced ways because you know YouTube is this reflection of all of, of humanity in a way right it's, it inherits all the different perspectives and things that are happening in, in different places and so those challenges are constantly evolving and, and things so you have to kind of attack each of those those those, those challenges specifically and um, and directly so I, I don't think like we I, the, because of the scale that we're at which is like 500 hours of content every minute being uploaded you know, you, you have to use like personalization and, sure. and, and recommendations to give people the experience they want. And um, it's what's enabled sort of so many of these young voices to get discovered and, and people to connect around things that they never had, like, just to be able to see people on screen that they never like were able to see on screen before. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you ha like there have to be like guidelines and there have to be structures in place to review and to maintain the quality of the, those those pools of content. Mm -hmm. um, you know, YouTube's created this industry of influencers mm -hmm. among you know other platforms, right? And people that whose job it is to be celebrities on on the platform. Um, and you know, I think you know we've seen a lot of those people are now starting businesses and mm -hmm. trying to sell products with varying success. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, you know, for me, I think we, we sort of overuse the term influence to just mean anyone that can capture anyone's attention. Yeah, that's and true. And we, um, you know, in, in my mind, there's a separation between someone who's able to get views and clicks versus someone who's able to sell. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, how, how, do you, how do you think about that, whether it's, you know, in, in what brands are doing on the platform or... Um, or the creators yeah I mean sometimes it's it's simply about relevance right like so yeah like sometimes it really works when you have the, a, a brand that has a product that aligns well with the with a creator that like you know talks about that genre of thing or their audience like is interested in that type of thing and stuff and so sometimes like it's it's as simple as okay like this person is credible on this topic so you know that's the right. person that you want to be engaged with so if they, like there's a person you go to for tech reviews like that's who you'd want to like be advertising with in terms of you know, they're, they're, if you're a technology company, you know, sure. or if you're, if you're, you know, you see it all over the beauty industry, right? Like that's their beauty industry is like heavily involved, invested now in, in, right. in that world because those are people who are credible on that thing. So it really actually comes down to, to credibility and, mm -hmm. and things. And part of why the YouTube crowd has been so successful is like video and like frequent connection over video, like really builds a rapport and a trust, I think that people have. And a lot of these, you know, you said like these these people, their job is to be professional celebrities or, or whatever. And it's like, that's like, that happened to be their job in a way. For a lot of them, like they didn't set out to necessarily, do. now they're starting sure. to see it more, but like, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of them just sort of happened. And right. so they were just, they wanted to talk about one thing or they wanted to just like connect with lots of people around one thing. And then it turns out that that 
connection is has value, you know, in in, in the market. So, um, you know, I think that for for us, there's like different ways to think about it. One is like, okay, can you partner with creators, or can you, you know, can you do branded content, or are there, are there sort of like right pairings? But then there's also like, okay, how do we just make sure that we target the right audience, or you know, for the content category that you're interested in, um, through the right types of ad formats, which can also be really effective. And it's less about the influencer quote unquote influence and more about the audiences that are able to come in and they're able to capture that aren't really anywhere else uh, to be able to grab. Yeah. Cool. All right. I have a little lightning round before I let you go. Cool. A um, couple quick questions. What's your favorite city to travel to? Paris. I'm going there after this. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll hit you up for recommendations. Yeah. I love it. Who's your favorite DJ? Oh man. This is really hard. Um, um, oh man, what is it? Um, I'm blanking on uh, RJD2. Oh, I love her. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, what is the last great book you read? Um, I read that was really good. Um, I really loved, uh, I've read some other books that were really good after this, but I loved, um, John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Oh yeah. Just, I think about it all the time. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Why? What? Well, I just think it's like, it, it, he, 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 he's such a great storyteller, great but book. he like, he just like, he captured this very modern phenomenon that is, makes you feel powerless sometimes, but also like makes you feel really thoughtful when I look at things that are playing out online. Like, you know, I spend a lot of my life on Twitter, on YouTube, on different social media platforms, and sure. you see these phenomena playing out and you just realize how quickly something can, can spiral because of the contextual elements of it. And I think he really captured that in an in interesting way. Yeah. What movie have you seen the most in your life? <laughs> um, Braveheart? Like when oh, okay. I was when I was in like That's a heavy lift. When, That's I know, like, but when uh, I was in middle school, I was for some reason obsessed with this movie, and like yeah. I would like watch it all the time. And yeah. it's like now I'm a little bit like that's kind of a weird one, but it's tr it's fact. I mean, it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, tell me one decision that changed your life forever. Um. Okay, so when I was leaving, uh, when I was leaving, Bo I went to school in Boston. I was leaving Boston and I should have gone to LA because I wanted to be a comedy writer and like, mm -hmm. and I had a bunch of friends that were just moving to New York and I was like, you know what? It would be like this is my one shot to be 23 in New York, yeah. so I'm just gonna go to New York for a year and like just try to figure it out, and uh, I did, and then it just totally changed my entire life. I wouldn't yeah, probably sure. be working in technology, like a you know, just it's I'm now like full through and through New Yorker, but um, this that small thing of being like, yeah, maybe I'll push LA back, like, yeah. changed my life. Yeah. And finally, if um, if I worked on your team. Yeah. What's something I would hear you say over and over? <laughs> um, um, it would be, um, don't assume you understand something. Mm. Um, because I think like where we get into trouble all the time is like thinking we know why something is popular or thinking we know how popular something is when we have the ability to actually just spend a couple extra minutes to like unpack that thing. Because half the time it's not what you think it is. Really? You know, yeah. Like there's just so many genres. Like, the best, my favorite story in the book that I wrote is about this, these elevator videos. And I found these guys who were posting 
hundreds of videos of insides of elevators, just like filming elevators up and down. And I was like, man, people are just so weird on the Why internet. Why did they do that? And then I, I interviewed him for the book and he's like, he had Asperger's and he said that 75% of his audience were people with autism. Wow. And that like for people who are artistic, like there's, there's for people with autism, there is a uh, certain element of that that is really, that is really impactful for them. Mm. And so like, they, it's actually an autism outreach channel that looks like an elevator video channel. Wow. It's like, man, I don't know anything. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't like, have caught that. Yeah. You wouldn't have figured that out. So you can assume. Wow. That's great. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. you. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, that was Kevin Alaka from YouTube on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you um, leave us a comment on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you like. We're at Rebel Radio Net. You can also check out videos uh, on our YouTube channel. Speaking of YouTube. Uh, we're putting up videos every week from different episodes. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.